We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna so talk I about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring up very cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic. I'm your co-host Julia. And I'm Barry, her husband. Hello, everyone. Actually, you're, you are my husband, but you're also the film critic. I'm the film critic, but you know you are the film aficionado, the film enthusiast. <laughs> no, so, that's not. That's you. I think, I think so far, I think it's been established that the listeners are really more liking what you have to say than what I have to that's say. That's not. Your been... blowhard husband. And this episode, I think, would be a great example of that. That is, our listeners have not given us that feedback. That's true. Do we have listeners? If you're listening to this, thank you. We love you, whoever you are. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so this episode, we decided to go back to 1989 and watch The Burbs with Tom Hanks. Directed by Joe Dante, one of my favorite filmmakers. This guy, I swear, has given me some happy, happy memories from the 80s. I mean, the movie he made right before this is Inner Space, which is an all-time favorite of mine. Most people would go to Gremlins. I would go to a film that he did in 93 called Matinee. That film, it just resonates with me for so many personal reasons. I love Matinee. I love most of his films, honestly, but this one is way up there for me. It was a semi-successful film when it came out in 89. I remember it came out after Tom Hanks did Big, which was a blockbuster for him. It was his, you know, that was a giant breakout for him, breakout film for him because he was nominated for the Academy Award for the first time. And this was the movie he did right after that. It made $11 million its opening weekend, which was a record for February. So it did really well, but it's the cult of this movie has kind of carried it because obviously by the time he get to Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, people aren't talking about the burbs anymore. I'm sorry. I just got done telling Barry to turn off all his devices. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> all right. Well, the my memories of the burbs are pure horror. I mean, I don't think I saw this right when it came out because I was only nine. But I saw it sometime in the early 90s, and I was terrified. Hmm. So I thought it was a complete horror movie. <laughs> I didn't see it in the theater, and this is one of those movies I really, really wanted to. And what I, would, what I used to do, and it never worked, was I would cut the poster art of the movie out of our paper and then use a magnet and stick it to our refrigerator and be like, Mom, that's what I want to go see. I remember I did that with this movie and Fletch Lives, and she, she was like, woo that looks good, Barry. And she never took me to see the burbs on the big screen. Smart never, mom. Never happened. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if she looked it up ahead of time or she's like, oh, I don't know what that is. I don't know. But yeah, I, I gave her some very blatant hints and she did not take me to see this at the theater. Mm. Yeah, I, I did not remember the story. I just remembered being really scared as a kid and thinking it was a horror movie. So when we got a request from a fan yay our fan asking us to do this film i was a little hesitant but obviously this movie is not that scary did you remember being like rosemary's baby (laughs) yes yes just completely terrifying and you that experience was not rehashed the other night you didn't know the other night when we watched it i think the next day i told you it it wasn't really scary enough. It wasn't really funny enough oh, for me. Oh, that hurts. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. well, let's get into it. So this movie begins with this gorgeous opening shot where the Universal Studios logo just becomes the planet Earth, and there's this super pan in into Earth, and you basically see all the land come flying up at you, and you're into this little suburban neighborhood. Done without computers. This is a, a practical optical effect. It's beautiful. The uh, Jerry Goldsmith score, one of my favorite scores of his. It's, it's eccentric. It's strange. And as the film progresses, he actually has a theme for every single character, which is such a strange choice. Even the dog has its own theme. But I love the Goldsmith music. I love the the, the ambiance that's set at the very beginning. It's nighttime. It's suburbia. And it's established that Ray, played by Tom Hanks, 
the house right next door to him, there's all sorts of weird shenanigans going on. He takes a little late night walk. He's in his pajamas and he sees light as well as sound and all sorts of swirling wind. of wind. Yeah, yeah, all, all sorts of strains going on in this house. And uh, he can't quite figure it out. And neither can his neighbor. He has a sense. We, we get a real ominous glimpse of Bruce Dern's character, Rumsfeld, who's across the street. We see him in silhouette smoking a cigar, watching the same thing that Ray is. That there's some weird stuff going on at the neighbor's house, but they can't quite figure out what what the sound is, why the why the elements of earth are acting differently around this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it takes place in a Chicago suburb, and we're we're on a cul-de-sac, and the whole movie takes place in the on this one street. It's yeah, it's it's Mayfield Place, which is definitely a you know it's a it's an old school reference. But later on, they they make a reference to a place called Hinkley Hills. I'm afraid that might be a tasteless reference to John Hinkley, the man who shot Reagan. So I suspect, and I suspect mm. that's on purpose, considering what the film is about. But we'll get we'll get there. Okay. Well, I I do have to say I think my favorite character is Queenie the dog. Wow. I think she's dog. a great man. A great dog acting this in this movie. This is going to be a rough one, listeners. Wow. <laughs> okay, because the next morning um Queenie's <laughs> owner takes her out and just lets her go and she just goes and craps on the neighbor's lawn and she does this on everybody else's lawn. And as I said, like Jerry Goldsmith has a theme music, has a theme, like every single character has their own theme. And when the dog runs out, I mean, I don't know if he just did it himself into a mic, but you hear, ruff, 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 ruff. <laughs> so goofy. <laughs> I love it. And Queenie looks a little bit like our dog. A lot so, like our dog, yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah, I just thought she was really... Is funny. that why you're like, oh? Yeah, I was kind of It's like, like, she's in the movie. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> But everyone else, boo. No, no. I, I actually like all of the um, actors and the characters in this movie. I think it's just more the story that I'm not crazy about. All right. So in this opening montage, one of the biggest laughs in the movie, it's a total throwaway joke, but this newspaper boy is terrorizing this neighborhood. He's throwing the newspapers right at the people as they're outside their <laughs> home. And at one point, the kid hits hits Tom Hanks, and Hanks like tosses his coffee at him. It's great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just in a moment of like, oh, I hate this kid. Yeah. yeah. So Ray, Ray's character. Hanks' it, character, Ray. Yeah. yeah. he. It's established he's taking the week off work, and... I'm guessing it's he's just stressed out. You want to know the answer to that? Yeah. This is an element that was cut from the film. I do want I know to know. All, I know all sorts of birds oh, okay. trivia. So, so in the original cut, you didn't find out until the end, like the last scene of the film, he confesses to his wife, he got fired. Oh. So that explains why he's so mopey. In the dream sequence, which we'll get to, there used to be a quick moment where the wonderful actor Kevin McCarthy shows up as his boss. So, but it's... It's kind of neither here nor there. And I, it, it makes sense that they cut it because by the end of the film, it's like, well, who cares? You know, okay. after all the things he's accomplished, who cares if he's unemployed? But, the, but you know, they could have established that this is why. And Carrie Fisher's character playing his wife, she's completely aware of, of what's up. Yeah. You know, I think it would have been helpful to know because she's like, let's go to the lake. Let's go do something. And he's like, I just want to relax at the house, you know? It's like, why? It's And it's interesting, too, because... You know, this is, again, this is Hanks after he won the Oscar, excuse me, nominated, sorry, he was nominated for the Oscar for Big, but you wonder, like, what, why this movie? Because, I mean, I love him in this movie, but to even hear this character say, like, I just want to sit around, I want to drink a hundred beers, I want to want to smoke a cigar, watch the game, you think, like, was James Belushi unavailable that week? Or, like, <laughs> you know who I would have picked if I was casting this film in, in the late 80s? Rick Moranis. Mm. I think McGranis would also have been a really great choice too. So Hanks is like, you can't quite imagine him being like this mopey husband, but I, I think he works really well. But all that to say, like, I wouldn't imagine the actor for this role, which is one of the reasons I love him in this movie, because it's kind of bizarre that he's in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the one he did after this was Turner and Hooch. We're in that period of, mm. of Hanks' filmography, which is crazy. Well, he didn't know that he was going to be so big. So, you know, he's just big. trying to uh, 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 see what I did uh, there. Well, Not on purpose. Okay. So maybe we talk about some of the other characters in the neighborhood because they're all 
period. Very colorful. Eccentric. Very eccentric. Well, you got uh, Corey Feldman playing the stoner kid who, as you've indicated, like apparently he lives by himself. No, no, his, his parents are away. They're, they're yeah, away. his parents He's are away. He's supposed to paint the house. But his thing, which is kind of wonderful, and apparently the screenwriter based this character on what he did, what what uh, Feldman's character does is he basically invites his friends over, sits on the front porch, and watches the neighborhood like it's a TV show. And the neighborhood never fails to deliver on entertainment value. Yeah, I think my favorite is when he has his girlfriend over, and he's like, no, come on, this is going to be great. And no matter when he's out there, something's happening, and he just thinks it's the best thing ever. He's, he's always like, I love this neighborhood. <laughs> No, to, to, to tour for just a second, like, have you ever, I mean, have you, do you have memories of living in a neighborhood where things were so particularly strange that you were afraid? Other than where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, this neighborhood, probably the most A little afraid. wacky around here. A little wacky. Um, no, I don't remember ever living in a place where I was scared. Um, we never really lived anywhere that interesting, but here, I mean, you know, we've we've heard stories of our neighbors. Yeah. And you know, someone threw like a dead rat over someone else's, oh yeah, you yeah. know, onto their lawn like multiple times until they moved out and I was like, "Ooh, do not make enemies with that person." You know, lots of dog situations. You know, our dog has been attacked by two different neighbor dogs, so you know, it's just like, I don't know that it's anything that crazy, though. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure, sure. Obviously, people I, got it so much worse. Yeah, totally. I'm sure. And other people have had their dogs, you know, get into little scuffles with other neighbor dogs. But that rat story has always stayed with me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say really quickly. I mean, the where we used to live, at one point we were living in Colorado Springs. And uh, I, I wrote this... Um, in, I wrote an article on the burbs, and I actually started the article recalling this story. I was one night walking my dog at 11 o'clock at night. This Charlotte had to go to the potty at 11 at night, so I'm taking Charlotte for a walk around our neighborhood. It's 11 at night now, and I got a flashlight. I'm walking around our neighborhood, and I come across a neighbor a couple houses down, and they're digging in their backyard at 11 Ooh. o'clock at night. And, you know, like I, you know, at the time... I coming up with a thousand things like oh you know whatever maybe a pet died you know maybe there was a like what a a a leak on a pipe or something coming up with all these things but then by the time i got back to the house i'm like why is he digging at 11 o'clock at night yeah it's really hard to justify that time to do something like that always bothered me and like i would pass and i mean this was you know, like a couple of years before we moved, but I would pass by that house for like years afterwards, really eyeballing it. Never had a sense of anything like, what's going on? What's in the backyard? And I do remember that moment, like, because I remember, like, I'm hearing him dig and dig and dig. And I remember, like, Charlotte, Charlotte let's go, let's go. You know, I don't, I don't want anybody to know I'm out here. But uh, yeah, that's always stayed with me because it is the thing that just, it still eats away at me. Why was he digging at 11 p.m. at night? Yeah, that's creepy. I think yeah. I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. Um, could we see their house from our house? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was down the down the road and then to the left, and it was the first. That was the last house on the left. Ooh, Ooh yeah. creepy. Okay. All right. So anyway, back to the burbs. So, so yeah. Uh, let's see. We meet Bruce Dern, who's got a great introduction. He walks on screen, and heavy metal is blasting. He very slowly puts on his sunglasses because he is badass. And he, uh, you know, he's got a flag up front. He's a, he's a veteran and he puts up the American flag. His gorgeous wife, played by Wendy Shaw, gives him the flag. So this is like a gl- the glamour couple of the neighborhood, if you will. <laughs> now, is his name really Rumsfeld or do they just call him that? I think Mark is his first name. No, but like, is his last name? Last name is Rumsfeld, yeah. Okay, but are they just calling him that because it's like a military thing? Or, you know, like Donald Rumsfeld? Well, or why? it's Rumsfeld. That is the name of the character, Mark Rumsfeld. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I was just curious if 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 it was like just I don't know something to do with. I don't. I don't think so. This is eighty nine. I'm oh, okay. guessing no, but you know, I think there are a lot of names in this that point to other elements of pop culture and history. But mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of his wife, she's always wearing like these um, skimpy outfits, and um, Corey Feldman, his character Ricky, he's always like. No tan lines, Mrs. Rumsfeld, looking good. So 
he's just ogling everyone and and it's just kind of the cheerleader of the whole thing Corey Feldman's yes coach. absolutely yes. then you also have uh Rick Duckerman playing art Rick Duckerman is I really like this character actor a lot he's probably best known for this movie and also playing the bad guy in Little Monsters the Fred Savage film Duckerman I feel like in this movie and maybe you agree with me on this I get the sense like they couldn't get John Candy Mm-hmm. so they got rick duckman totally and i think candy would have made this character more lovable i think you know no matter how you look at it duckman to his credit his care this character is not endearing so at all. if it had He's been obnoxious. candy and moranis oh you think this would have been i even... think the characters would have been much easier to like and i would have rooted for them more and it also has to do with the fact that the three, because it's it's basically the three Stooges with Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern, and Rick Duckerman. Mm. They're playing the three Stooges, and also as as the movie points out numerous times, purposely, they come across like children, like dumb little boys. And I think had it been Moranis, I mean, who who else could have played the who could have played the Bruce Dern part in the late '80s? John Goodman. No, I like Bruce Dern though. Yeah, I do too. This yeah. is my introduction to Bruce Dern, which is insane. He's eighty-five years old. He's still acting. Of course, his daughter is Laura Dern. Um, he's brilliant. He's consistently brilliant. He still acts to this day. But this is my introduction to Bruce Dern. I remember my parents being like, "You've never seen Black Sunday?" Like he's done all these dark, intense movies, and you see him in this, and he's just a total goofball. Yeah, yeah. He, I think he's my favorite character just because he's so off the wall. So then we have Carrie Fisher. Yeah, F- Carrie Fisher is Carol. She's playing the wife role, and it's it's a shame that she's not more. She doesn't get to interact with the main story enough because those moments where she is a part of it, as opposed to her husband sneaking around on her, I think those elements are are, are some of the strongest where Fisher gets to gets to play because. I mean, we all know she's a brilliant comedian, a brilliant writer. I mean, we unfortunately lost her a few years ago. But, I mean, in terms of, I remember, I remember even reading some of the books that she published and hearing about, like, some of the films, like Austin Powers, where she did, like, some uncredited rewriting on that. She was a comic force of nature. And a little of that comes through here. I wish the film had used her a little more. as a, But, I mean, the movie does make a point that it's this dumb, rah-rah boys club, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, they're... They're obsessed with the house next door to Ray's and the Klopeks have moved in and Art is walking with Ray and he's like, no one goes in, no one goes out. What are they doing in there? What's going on? Who are they? And the house looks terrible. I mean, the lawn is It looks like the monsters live there. Yeah. And he says... um, Oh, that their last house was burnt to the ground Mm -hmm. and then they moved here. And so they just don't know what's going on. Well, yeah, I guess I could. You know, this would be the perfect time because you could go up and talk to him. We we could see what he's like. Go. You could go say hi to him too. Yeah, but he's your neighbor. Well, no, he's your neighbor as well. No, but I'm over here. You share a property line with him. He's yeah, here, like we're all on the same block, so I mean, you could go too. So. No, it's oh, we're all on the same town too, but you're right next to him. If he was ever going to borrow anything, he'd come over to your place. Well, he's, he's busy now. He's, no, he's, he's not busy. Now, look, he's going into go now because if I mean, he's going back in. If you were, if you were going to say hi, you should probably there. He's going into the hut. You're, you're going to lose him because he's, he's going to go in. Well, there, now you've blown it, haven't you? No, I didn't blow it. He, chicken. Went, he went into his house. Chicken? I'm not chicken because he went into his house. I mean. Well, he went into his house. You know, you look like a chicken in front of your son and everything. Your son. So it, it's, a, it's a typically mature moment for Art and Ray where Art calls him a chicken and basically does the McFly thing or McFly can't back down from me calling a chicken. So Ray decides to go along with Art to ring the doorbell, introduce himself to the neighbor. And the film has one of my favorite comic moments where this Ennio Morricone Western music is playing. It's slow-mo of, of Tom Hanks and Rick Duckerman walking, approaching the Klobeck house. And there's a slow pan in on all the characters watching. And finally you get to the dog. It's, <laughs> oh yeah. It's the best. It's so funny. Yeah. That's why I like Queenie. Uh, well, I just, Joe Dante, I mean, like, the guy has this cracked comic timing. I mean, his prior film, Inner Space, is, I mean, that movie is brilliant in its comic nuttiness and inventiveness. And I feel like there's a lot of that in this movie. Uh, I love that it's, it, this is not a conventional comedy by any means. And they found the right person to make this movie. So um, at night, I think the first night we see them 
there outside watching the house and in the basement is just like it there's this weird sound like a machine and just like explosions and all this light and so you have no idea what's going on under there um and I think that's when Rumsfeld you know we see he has night vision goggles and all this his like military paraphernalia so they're really trying to figure out this mystery all the while um the wives are just like what is going on <laughs> yeah yeah on one hand like i don't like that traditional sense although there there's something almost vaguely 50s about the movie and of course it was shot on the universal back lot one of the houses is the leave it to beaver house like it's it's on that famous lot that you would see when you take the tour in fact mm. i remember with my brother taking the universal studios tour and like that's the house from the burbs like wow but uh yeah, so the film, I think, has that innate 50s feel in terms of traditional, like, Father's Knows Best in that sense. It, it's, I, guess, I think Corey Feldman is what makes it an 80s movie, frankly, the way yeah. his attitude, because otherwise this could have taken place in the 50s or the 60s. There's, I, I mean, I think most sci-fi genre fans know that it has a lot in common with the Twilight Zone episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. So, yeah, I, I do think there is, that's one of the reasons that, the women are treated in like a you know very stereotypical 50s way um where the, where the men are kind of henpecked or they're like not trying to not include their wives and again like sometimes the movie is really smart about it like i love again like the sequence in the third act where uh, both bonnie and carol are involved in the story directly but yeah for the most part I and mean, these are really sharp comic actresses too they should have i think they should have had more to do in this movie than just be like oh boys you know mm-hmm. a little too much of that yeah um, so at one point they see that the, there's three people in the backyard of the Klopex house, like digging, and it looks like they're digging grapes. There's that. And then there's a moment right before it where they watch one of the Klopex played by Courtney Gaines, who gets out of the car to basically put the trash in, in the, in the trash can. And well, then he, he drives his car from the garage to the end of the, the, driveway, the driveway, takes the bag out, puts it in the can, and then takes a stick and beats the living heck out of the, out of whatever's in that, in that garbage bag. Yeah. And so they're just like, Oh my gosh, it's a dead body. We're going to have to figure that out. And there, there is a funny scene the next day when, the trash men come. This is great, yes. This is, yeah, Robert Picardo, who I've actually had the chance to meet. He's a wonderful guy and a brilliant, underrated character actor. I love Picardo. And then, of course, the indispensable Dick Miller, who's, who's been in over 100 movies and most of them been in every Joe Dante movie. Yeah, these two guys are playing like philosophical garbage men, if yeah. you will. It's, it's like these are new characters. In fact, if they had just done movies about these characters, I'd be happy. Because at one point, um, Rick Duckerman is running towards the garbage men. He goes, Garbies! And I'm like, that would have been a title for a movie, Garbies, with, with, with Picardo and Miller. I'd totally see that. But anyway, so yeah, so because it, it's established, like, okay, we'll wait for First Light. We'll check the garbage bags and see what the Clopex put in there. But yeah, by the time they get to it, the garbage men are already there. And uh, the neighborhood lunkheads, our three leads, are going through the garbage and they leave it. They just leave it. And the garbage men also leave it like in the middle of, like right in front of yeah, the Klobuk's house where middle. it stays for the rest of the movie, it which does. is great. It's this visual gag that just keeps on giving. It's really funny seeing just cars. They just keep drive, just driving, driving over this, over this pile of garbage. Putrid trash. It's yeah, great. But they keep saying like, well, once the garbage is out on the curb, it's public domain. <laughs> we this, we have the right to go through this trash. And the garbage men are just like, really? Dang. All right. Well, the garbage men are just besides themselves watching just how idiotic these three are. And at one point, Dick Miller's character goes, I hate cul-de-sacs. <laughs> yeah, I hate cul-de-sacs. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well... Then, um, when, when does Carol get involved? Uh, well, I mean, well, we, we should talk about, because I think we're skipping over some stuff. I mean, for one thing, there is the sequence, because it leads to the dream sequence, and maybe mm-hmm. it's that night, where, where Ray goes for a walk, and he meets up with, Tom Hanks meets up with Rick Duckerman and, and uh, Corey Feldman's characters. Uh, it is a lovely night, isn't it? Yeah, green sky tonight. Green sky at morning. Neighbor take warning. Green sky at night. Neighbor take flight. You know, did you ever see the movie The Sentinel, Mr. Peterson? 
It's about the old guy who owns the apartment, which is kind of like the uh, gateway to hell. No, I, I didn't see that. Well, I was doing some thinking. And, you know, being that their last house burned down and all, it's like maybe somebody left the gate open. It's them. They're moving around again. And it's interesting because at first, Corey Feldman asked him, have you ever seen The Sentinel? Which is this really bizarre, creepy B-horror film. But then... Art starts to tell the story about this guy, uh, Skip the Soda Jerk, mm. how Skip murdered his whole family. And the details of this are so chilling that it, it definitely reminded me of John List, the famous serial killer who murdered his family and ran away and, and took on different identities. The movie The Stepfather is based on John List, and there's a lot of John List, the details of that ghastly crime in this story of Skip the Soda Jerk. And sure enough, that night... Uh, which is one of the funniest funniest visual gags in the movie. Ray, played by Hanks, is by himself watching TV with his dog, and every channel he turns to is some ghastly horror film. Yes, which is probably why I had nightmares as a kid, was this scene and his bad dream. I think he's watching, I think it's I think it's Race the Devil, which is a movie I, I find, I love Race the Devil, and then he turns the channel, it's The Exorcist, turns the channel, it's Exorcist, Chance of Massacre 2. I'll be honest with you, Jules, I would have wanted five more minutes of this gag. Just like every time he turns the channel, Night of the Living Dead and Rosemary's Baby, just like keep going, movie. Like just keep piling on the clips. Just more like reaction shots of like like Hanks and his dog watching all these horror movies. I think, I mean, the movie is already perfection, but I think that would have pushed it over. Mm, all right. Five more minutes of five, click. Ah, five click. more minutes. Ah. Yep. Yeah. Actually, that would have been funny. <laughs> but they only did it three times. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, okay, Exorcist, uh, you know, Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw. Okay, that's all we can afford. Like, let's move on. Next scene. <laughs> so we get to the dream sequence. And it, I like the, the way it begins because initially it doesn't feel like a dream sequence at all. Hanks gets up in the middle of the night going for a walk, no big deal. Chainsaw cuts through the, the wall, cuts his family photo in half, smoke appears, and the whole thing becomes overtly, in a real jokey way, a dream sequence. And very quickly, Hanks finds himself on a barbecue the size of our house, and he's surrounded by Satanists. Um, some of that has to do because Art was filling his head with nonsense about Satanism and Satanism, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, surrounding the barbecue are the Clopex, one of which uh, has, a, has a chainsaw at hand. They're all wearing you know ceremonial robes. Um, the neighbor with Queenie goes, don't let it happen to you. And there's a great pullback where he's got an axe in the head, and so does Queenie. They glued, <laughs> See, glued an axe to this poor little dog's head. Queenie just is a st- scene stealer. <laughs> yeah, you know, no Benji, but good good dog performance all the same. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it ends, the dream sequence ends where one of the Clopex goes, leave us alone! And Hanks wakes up, and I swear, Mr. Rogers' It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood plays in its entirety in this montage of Ray drinking his morning coffee, looking suspiciously around the neighborhood. It's wonderful. It's mm-hmm. such a great use of that song to menacing effect. I love it. I wonder what if Fred Rogers was even aware of this or if he was just like, not going to see that movie. I don't know. But like, <laughs> and by the way, let's not forget who played Mr. Rogers. Yeah, I know. I thought that of that. Isn't that fantastic? I thought oh, of that. Like man. full circle. Yeah. 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 And there's no, by the way, there's no, there's no scene in that movie where Hanks and Mr. Rogers go, did you see that ghastly movie? No. The one that uses my song? <laughs> well, so is the next morning when we find out Queenie is alone? Yes. Yeah, so Queenie is just outside, dirty, paws and everything, and Rumsfeld's wife picks her up, and she's like, well, where's Charles, your owner? And that's when everybody heads over to the house to try to find him. And they break in... <laughs> because <laughs> they think that something happened to him and now they think that the Klopex have murdered him so yeah and one of the instigators i think this is the scene before the four of them go over to, to actually meet the Klopex. it's the yes. scene where yeah where ray is by himself sunbathing in his backyard art comes over like ruins his moment of of chill and coolness and in having a conversation uh ray's dog very casually 
goes to the Clopex, digs a hole, comes back <laughs> with this giant bone. <laughs> and initially, initially, Art and Rare just having a conversation. And, and, and like and throwing like, yeah, the go bone. Go fetch, go fetch. <laughs> but eventually they realize, like, you know, it's, it's very cartoonish reveal. They realize the size of this bone. and It's, it's a femur bone. A femur bone. And I got to say, like, I think this, you know, whatever. It's a comedy. But, like, I think this could have been genuinely chilling if the bone had some gristle, maybe some dried blood on it. You know, it, it, it looks, looks like a dinosaur. It looks bone. like a prop. Yeah, <laughs> it looks, it's the it's it's completely white. I mean, it looks like a Flintstone bone. You know, <laughs> like the kind that Dino the dinosaur would play with. But then, but then there's a shot like it's it's one of the most it's really one of the most iconic shots in the movie for some reason where they're looking at the bone just horrified and they go, "This could be Walter." Ah. And the camera does this thing where it pans in and out really fast on 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 Hanks and Duckman totally playing it, but it stops doing the in and out, and and Tom Hanks is still going ah for a second, and then he stops. I wonder like was this an outtake that they decided <laughs> to keep in the movie because because like nobody's taking this moment remotely serious, definitely not anybody on either side of the camera. So it is a little odd. It's supposed to be this creepy reveal. I know it's a comedy, but still it's like this should be like this chilling moment and. Yeah, no one, no. no one's like we're not gonna, especially with a bone that looks like the Flintstones. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they all go over to is it Charles's house? They go. Yeah. They well, they go over to uh, yeah. They, yeah, that's right. They go over to Queenie's. Yeah, we talking about when they're going to Queenie's yeah. house. Or, yeah. And that's when they find that his toupee is just sitting in the kitchen. Right. And yeah. they're like. Nobody leaves their house. Walter. Sorry, oh, Walter's, Walter's, sorry, Walter's sorry. house. Yeah, yeah. Play by Gail Gordon, the classic actor. Sorry about that. Sorry about okay. that. Yeah, yeah, Walter's house. So Walter's house. Um, and they, they find his toupee. Nobody just leaves without that. So they're like, obviously something nefarious has happened. And they, in the process, they're trashing his house. One of, one of the funniest gags in the movie. It, it doesn't even feel like it was staged where someone's holding a plate and someone opens the door and smashes the plate into pieces <laughs> and i was like that's it everybody out oh it's great it's great <laughs> well and there's also art is just constantly eating in every house that he goes to yes yeah every house he has to find food yeah. like you know i could see him doing it at ray's house because they're good buddies but i would never just go to somebody's house and start eating their leftovers he's the kind of guy you take for lunch at a diner and on the way out he's like eating the food off of the tables where no one's there yeah, anymore. he's like, that guy disgusting. he's disgusting yeah he's, yeah he's insufferable and he's supposed to be insufferable again like the actor is playing this role to the hilt but like the fact that this is a really good character actor milking it and making you believe he's the character as opposed to like John Candy kind of smoothing it over like oh we love you so much like we're not no like Duckman makes us really kind of despise this character Art you had a dream you were going to win the lottery and you blew $500 oh, oh I can't believe you're still bringing that up a dream a plane was going to crash so he took the bus to Las Vegas if I'd have been on the plane it would have crashed and it doesn't matter this wasn't a dream this was a vision I'm telling you these people are Satanists as I sit here they are Satanists look look the world is full of these kind of things look at this black masses mutilations mutilations the incubus the succubus i'm telling you walter was a human sacrifice i should have gone to the lake <laughs> i should have listened to carol I should listen to your wife who listens to their wife listen you got to listen to me you know what the deal is what we got to do is we got to go down to the religious supply store we got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water my cousin jerry's a priest he can get us a deal no no we got to then we got to go to the market we got to get ourselves a couple of those big strings you know they string that garlic a couple big strings of garlic we got to get ourselves some fresh lamb's blood and then we got Ray, I'm do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers I'm out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Ray, you're chanting. Ray, Ray, look. Ray, unconscious chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Ray, Ray, you're chanting. Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. What's the next scene? Because I well, the scene where the three decide to yes, the three the three decide to go. Excuse me, the four. So it's it's more than so it's it's they decide to go over to the Klopex house. This is the scene where they actually go over with the brownies. Well, it's the two couples and two art. Couples. Art and art, right, right, right. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. And they bring brownies, and every time they go onto the deck or the the porch of the Klopex house, somebody falls through. Yes, it's a <laughs> it's it's almost like like a like a gag recycled from Hanks's movie, The Money Pit. But it it, you know, it always gets a cheap laugh out of me. Well, and then 
they ring the doorbell and the address is like six six nine six six nine and then the the nine falls and turns into a six you're like dun 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 very subtle movie very very, very subtle. subtle so yeah so the five go inside to the clopex house and it's this incredibly awkward thing we meet the youngest member of the clopex who barely says anything played by Courtney Gaines. The creepy uncle, played by Brother Theodore, who's a really interesting character actor. And then up from the basement comes the wonderful character actor, another great, this movie's full of great character actors, Henry Gibson, playing Dr. Klopek. He comes up and he shakes uh, Ray's hand, and it's it's full of red, and he, he explains that he was just painting. But of course, it looks like he has a hand just full of blood. Yeah. Who does that? Who just shakes somebody's hand with, like, paint or whatever on it well you know the other day you know i painted you know i was painting my father's house remember how my hands were when i came home they weren't wet though (laughs) that's true but i was covered though covered with white so yeah yeah right but you didn't like shake my hand and give me red paint well i'd be permanently sleeping on this couch if i had done that (laughs) i I know better than that So they're in this creepy house and the wives are like, well, you know, I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get over here. And, you know, we really should have come by sooner. And it's just the house is like dirty and musty. Carrie Fisher, like to my point earlier, Carrie Fisher and Wendy Shaw are so funny in this scene. The way they're trying to, you know, be really chipper and and normal and just make peace between the two homes. Because this is really their biggest scene. And so do they find any clues? They do, which we don't find out till later because it goes disastrously because uh, Duckman, Art, is actually sneaking around the house. The Klopex giant dog basically chases him off and it ruins the party. Everybody kind of leaves abruptly. The next scene is... Uh, the wives and the husbands are all at Ray's house. Ray is sitting contempl- contemplating everything on the stairs. And they're like, well, Ray, what are we going to do? And Ray says very calmly to his wife, like, I'll have a talk with the boys, figure this out. You know, don't oh, worry. Oh, yeah, because and she's like... You, you finally know, come to your senses. Yeah, you finally come to your senses. And he's like, yeah, that, you know... They're, yeah, because obviously... They're normal. Yeah, because the three men, like, their obsession with this house, it's gone from just, like, conversation, gossip to, like... I mean, it's all they do. It's all they talk about. It's you know they're constantly just scheming to the point where it's becoming very dangerous and and their wives realize that by the way Art's wife is not in the film at this point she enters later so Hank says Ray says like let me talk to the boys and you know it's you think it's going to be this moment where he takes them into the den privately to scold them and he explains that no like I found Walter's toupee in the Clopex house after we dropped it mm. off what is going on you know something is really nefarious here so. Uh, yeah, and the camera goes for the, the big hero close-up of, of Hanks. He's like, like, what does he say? Like, nobody, what is the line? Oh, I can't even remember. Anyway, yeah, so it's like, it's it's putting the plot in motion to the third act. He's like, yeah. no, nobody nobody knocks off a neighbor in my town. Like, yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to solve this We're going to go back. We're going to, yeah, we're not going to, because the Klopeks are leaving the next day. It's established, so they're going to go back. As soon as the Klopeks leave, they're going to go invade that house, and not, they're not going to leave until they find a body, because they're convinced that Walter is there. So the next day, it's it's a great shot of the Klopex car leaving, and it's reflected in Feldman's glasses. Like, ooh, that's so cool! And this is '89, so they're done without computers. So you know, this is like that. It's a simple shot that probably took hours to get right. Yeah, and and he Feldman is inviting all his buddies over now. It's like big party, big because, party because things are super psycho over at Mayfield Place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets all of his buddies, and it's like a big rock show. And Bruce Dern, in full military fatigue, is on the roof. <laughs> and uh, and Ray and Art are climbing over the, the fence. It's, you know, it's a lot of shenanigans and slapstick. Um, and it's enjoyable because, uh, you know, Art is an annoying character and he's constantly punishing himself by... Well, he gets electrocuted. <laughs> I mean, he decides Falls to, through a roof. It's great. He decides to cut the electricity by just... Winging it. Yeah, and like taking clippers and yeah. just cutting the line. So stupid. And completely electrocutes himself. A, a visual gag I love when he when he recovers from that, his fingernails have all turned black and he, he douses them by putting it on his tongue and you hear that... Oh, it's great. It's great. Nice little Looney Tunes gag. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce Dern is on the roof. He's kind of the lookout um, for the whole operation. And the other two are in the backyard for, I don't know, hours digging. 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 Yeah, there's holes everywhere. I mean, you know, 
anyone do, are they ever going to cover this up like no they're just like leaving these <laughs> these massive like you know empty graves in the back in the clopec backyard yeah so they finally decide to just break in and go yeah. inside and they go down into the basement and there's a huge stove like and there's a creepy face on the stove which nobody ever comments on like a creepy like almost like a heavy metal album cover on the on the yeah. furnace yeah and they're like well maybe it's just how they heat their house and he's like who heats their house to 7000 degrees <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so they decide to yeah, Ray's decides to start digging at the foot of the furnace. Like there's it's it's dirt, there's gotta be something under there. So he's digging and digging and digging. And so we're constantly going back and forth between the progress inside the house and meanwhile the shenanigans outside the house. At one point, Bruce Dern's character, he slips and falls off the roof and all the you Feldman's stupid friends are like, Yeah, woo! yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So finally, I doesn't Ray. He hits a gas line. He hits a gas line. <laughs> and it's put on those moments like, run! Yeah. And then it's simultaneously at the same time, because a bit of business we forgot, the Clopex have come back early. No one noticed. So the Clopex do a U-turn, leave, and then they come back with a cop car just as Art is running from the house going, run! The house explodes in a blaze of glory. Out from the house, which is just flaming on fire gone with the with the the rooftop stabbing the cop car out comes ray who you know hanks full of prosthetic makeup he looks like he's just been beaten uh and he's got holes in his shirt and singed and he's got smoke coming off of him which is another great gag um so clearly the neighbors have lost the clopex have have gone to the authorities and the neighbors have been caught. And of course, you know, another detail that we forgot was that Walter comes home because it's been established that he was just he was just gone this whole time. And well, that they took him to the hospital because he thought he was going to have a heart. He was having a heart attack. And the and, and a detail even I caught the first time. Like, yeah, like wouldn't it just be like maybe the Clopex decided to get Walter's mail? Yes, and that's exactly why why Walter's mail and his toupee was at the Clopex house. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So the so movie's wrapping up at this point. Yeah, it's wrapping up and. Hanks is telling his wife, basically, I'm sorry, I, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, and Hanks has his big Oscar moment in this movie where it's like, it's not them, it's us. He has this total breakdown. Yeah. Clearly his big Oscar moment. And I love it. It's great. And, I'm a shell of a man because of you, Art. You leave. Now, now, now. soldier. You leave him alone. Get off that case already. They didn't do anything to us. They didn't do anything to us. All right, so they're different, so they keep to themselves. Can you blame them? They live next door to people who break into their house and burn it down while they're gone for the day. Remember what you were saying about people in the burbs, Art? People like Skip? People who mow their lawn for the 800th time and then snap? Well, that's us! It's not them! That's us! We're the ones who are vaulting over the fences and peeking in through people's windows. We're the ones who are throwing garbage in that street and lighting fires. We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid. We're the lunatics. Us. It's not them. It's us. And this is the point where even, you know, now as a much older person than when I first saw this movie, I'm loving the film because I'm going, yeah, yes, movie. Yes, this is awful. These characters may be funny and comical, but... What they're doing is so terrible, the fact that their neighbors are strange, they have funny last names, they have accents, they keep to themselves, they're not like everyone else in the neighborhood. Yes, there's something that feels very contemporary about this. I hate that these guys are terrorizing the Klopeks, and the Klopeks, their crime is that they're weird and aloof. Um, but I'm thinking, yeah, like this is, you know, even watching it, like I kind of forgot how it how it wraps up because it's so goofy, but it does seem like if the movie just ended here, where it's just established that the Klopeks are just like bizarrely normal people. Well, I wouldn't call them normal, but bizarre, yeah. Well, that there's a way to explain all this stuff. You know, right. that that, that uh, Dr. Klopek really is painting his, his den red. And that, you know, every time they go to a different town... It, it, their house winds up getting burnt down because the neighbors always suspect them of something nefarious. Like I, I think there's a way to explain that, and I, I like that idea, and I like the fact that the movie's saying like, like, look, like, 
like leave your freaking neighbors alone. Don't be, you know, don't be living in a in a state of paranoia. Yeah, it's okay that they, you know, beat their garbage while they throw it in the trash can. It's fine. Don't worry about it's it. It's their trash. Exactly. Like let weird neighbors be weird neighbors. Leave them alone, you jerk. Stop. It's okay that they'll never keep their house up according to the HOA rules. It's fine. Just yeah, let them live their lives, you invasive jerks. And like I'm really liking Hanks's perspective and I love that he runs into <laughs> runs into the back of the ambulance like, take me to the hospital and he just runs into the cot. <laughs> love it. And uh and Carrie Fisher, one of her great dead pod moments, she's like, I'll just uh find out what hospital you're at and I'll come see you. He's like, okay, honey. And he closes the door. And so then we have the big turn of the third act, which is that suddenly Dr. Klopek is in the back of the ambulance with Ray. And initially, you know, you think like, oh man, this is this, this is going to be this cringy moment where he's like, you know, Ray has to be like, I'm so sorry. I burned down your house. I'm so, (laughs) this is like, you know, just like really like, oh, it's so embarrassing that this happened. And instead Dr. Klopek is saying like, you know, do you think I'm an idiot? Do you find me an imbecile? You know, he's like, and he gets to the chase. Like you saw my skulls, didn't you? So creepy, creepy reveal, which is that all of Ray and Art and Rumsfeld's paranoia is real and justified. It turns out the Klopeks are indeed... They're murderers. Murderers, multi-serial killers, Satanists, everything you can imagine. And it begins... It, it's a scuffle between the two, between Ray and, and Dr. Dr. Klopek. And the young, youngest Klopek is driving the ambulance and driving off. And I got to say, like, to, uh, this fascinates me. Before Tom Hanks joined the cast of the movie, that was the ending. Oh. The ambulance drove off. No! And the movie ended. Oh, my gosh. Which I love. But, yeah, once Hanks joined, they're like, no, 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 no. We, we can't kill Tom Hanks. Oh, my god. We can't end the movie this way. And I love that ending so much. But, no, what ends up happening... Um, they, they, there's a few versions of this ending, like even the the Blu-ray I was looking at the other night. There, there's a there's an alternate ending, and it's it's almost the same thing. It basically comes down to the Klopeks are bad. There's a scuffle, and then everybody is aware of what's going on. Initially, initially they just start fighting in the ambulance. The ambulance does not drive off, and suddenly everybody opens the door and goes, "Huh!" and they arrest him on the spot. But this is this crazy wily e. coyote sequence where the ambulance is driving around like a maniac. The back door of it opens, and Ray and Dr. Klopek are having this fist fight while the gurney is wheeling down the street for a Hudson Hawk, crashes, and, you know, and Ray goes, Citizens arrest! Citizens yeah. arrest! <laughs> Which is hilarious. Which is great. And, uh, yeah, so, like, initially, the cops are very uh, skeptical about, you know, like, oh, you guys are crazy. This is, you're just ranting as you've been before. But, no, it turns out in the trunk of the Klopek's car are just, just a... Just piles of bones. Armada of, of bones and skulls, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and an odd moment. Uh, the cop, the cop at one point says, "Mr. Klop- uh, Doctor Klopik, Doctor Klopik." I'm like, did he join the film late? Like, did the actor like not read the script right? It's kind of an odd moment. Like when you get the name, you know, everyone else is calling it Klopik. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, so the movie starts to wrap itself up because that's the ending, and turns out, yeah, it turns out, uh, you know, being invasive and awful and destructive to your neighbors is a good thing because they could be Satanists. That's the message of this movie, mm. which I does not sit with me well anymore. But uh, at one point, it did. Well, as a kid, I'm like, yeah, that's right. They were right all along. Yeah, but if your neighbors are murderers, don't you want the cops to get them? Of course, but like, I mean, look, I mean, real life is a different thing. Because like, this is 89. Two years later, you know, the reveal of Jeffrey Dahmer happened. And I don't need to get into that, only to say that when they gave him the perp walk, you know, what was the one thing that all the neighbors said? He seemed like such a nice man, you know, which is creepy. And that speaks to this movie. Yeah, but the Klopeks didn't seem like nice people. Yeah, but at the same time, they had every right to be weirdos. They have every right to be that. And they have a right to be shut-ins, and they have the right not to mow their lawns. Yeah, no, that's true. But since it did turn out that they're murderers, you know. I think, honestly, like I'm either, not the not this ending, I think either the original ending where Ray, just Ray himself, is punished for his, you know, for his being invasive and discovering the truth. Ambulance rides off, and that's it. That ending, which I adore, or the ending where it stops with Ray's ranting about, we're not the monsters, we are! Because 
I, I, I just can't get on board with this idea of these guys like destroying the neighborhood because they suspect these people. And I think it would be more clever if it turns out the Klopeks were just boring and weird and eccentric and not murderers. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I mean, wouldn't it be great if it yeah. turns out they're like a, like an oompa-pa band? Like, <laughs> they're like, Oktoberfest is coming up and we're just like a couple of like, we're, you know, we're like, we're just kind of weird, you know. We're just kind of weird. We're just weird Europeans, you wacky Americans. Yeah. So the, so one of the endings you would have liked is for Ray to be in the back of the ambulance. And the then, original ending that Dana Olsen like, wrote. just like drive off and you know he's going to die. It's like a, yeah, it's, 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 I guess the way, I think Dana Olsen, the screenwriter, I guess the way he wrote it was the ambulance drives off and Ray's going, no! And there's like a dolly shot of the camera following the ambulance. You see it drive off in the distance and meanwhile the house is on fire and nobody in the neighborhood knows exactly what has happened. And, you know, presumably... Everybody in the neighborhood is going to go, like, the next day, whatever happened to Ray. Although, we don't even get that. The movie just ends. Oh. Which I think is, I think it's a great, it's a great shock comic horror ending. Mm. And we don't get that. We get a lot of Looney Tunes slapstick, which is fine. It's in, it's in line. It's not like the movie suddenly changes tone. I mean, the, the movie is consistent with its wacky tone. But, yeah, I, I would have, I would have liked an ending that's darker or at least just punishes these nitwits. Because by the end of the film, I can't, I'm not on board with what they're doing. Yeah. They're like, we got them, neighbor. Like, oh, you're such a jerk. Yeah. Such well, that goes along with what I said. It's not scary enough or funny enough. <laughs> but it celebrates these three stupid buddies. And I just, I, I can't have it. Like, like what they're doing is just so awful. Um, because they get, because again, like they could be wrong. They could be absolutely wrong. And the movie doesn't really even really entertain that idea enough mm-hmm. you know yeah that's true and then i mean because the movie ends the way it begins by the camera panning back up out of right the yeah we get the we get the great yeah. yeah but let me let me let me rewind for just a second to really make a point about this about why i think ray and his stupid buddies really need to be punished by the end of the film there's a scene it's a scene you spoke about where the night vision goggles are up and they're looking at the neighbors and they're watching them in the middle of the night and they're kind of planning, conspiring. There's a line that Hank says under his breath, but he does say like, then all we have to do is, uh, what is it? Well, all we have to do is burn a cross on their front lawn. Oh yeah. Ray that's... says that under his breath and I'm going, yeah, this exactly, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie is making light of this sort of thing, but these guys are just a few degrees away from being real monsters, much more so than the Klopex. And the movie celebrates their idiocy. Mm-hmm. So again, like I like this film. I do. But I do think the ending, I mean, to even use the word problematic, I just feel like the philosophy of this movie I mean, what are we saying? Like, it's, you know, that we have to police, uh, you know, or terrorize or antagonize anybody that's not the same white bread, you know, slice as we are. Mm-hmm. This is the end of the end of the movie where Ray's going to leave and he has like really like a like a Texas sheriff uh, talking to 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 Corey Feldman. He's like, keep an eye on this neighborhood for me. It's right. like, oh, my gosh, like this is the scariest neighborhood ever. <laughs> Like, forget, like, the neighborhood watch signs. Like, every house, I mean, like, my gosh, I mean, if you don't, like, mow your lawn the right way, these guys are going to be in your face. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, okay, in real life, yes, leave your neighbors alone. Mind your business unless you see something illegal and then, of course, call the cops. But you're right. The movie does reward them when it probably shouldn't. I mean, what's the sequel? Like suddenly, you know, the the house is rebuilt and then a wacky, you know, bunch of Russian polka players move in. Like, oh, we, do we trust them? Is it happening again? No, no. It's just... <laughs> I mean, it was a 50-50 shot. Either they were really right or they were really wrong. They they got lucky. They got lucky that their neighborhoods, that their that their neighbors rather were were serial killers. They got lucky. It was really lucky for them because <laughs> otherwise they're all going to jail for the rest of their life. Everyone is going to move out of that neighborhood. It's going to be this terrible neighborhood that everybody talks about as a cautionary tale. Instead, at the last possible minute, total, you know, a due sex machina, total ghost in the machine screenwriter moment where it's like, oh, turns out, turns out they were right. Okay, but in the grand scheme of things, if it really is murderous neighbors versus eccentric neighbors... I mean, it's better to be the eccentric neighbor than the murderous neighbors. Wouldn't it be wild if, you know, and this never would happen because it's Hank's, you know, in between like, 
you know, the money pits and Turner and Hooch. Wouldn't it be amazing if it turns out that Ray and Bruce Dern uh, and Rick Duckman, that they were actually psychopaths, crazies, like they were actually the Satanists and the Klopex were actually the really nice, like they're trying to start like a, like a home church <laughs> at their house. <laughs> I mean, just really turn it on you. <laughs> that would have been nuts. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, this, this film is just not, it's edgy. It's edgy for an eighties comedy, especially a PG rated eighties comedy. It is, but yeah, I just can't get on board with that third act reveal. I just can't. I, I think the original script, you know, I think it really would have been like, oh, a really great Twilight Zone finish. But then they got to have the scuffle in the back of the ambulance and everybody's hugging at the oh, end. Okay, and, yeah, we get it. So, uh, right, so how many stars do you give this? You know, I, I like this movie enough. and I think some of it is really cracked brilliance and, and has a lot to do with how good the cast is and how, how insane... Joe Dante makes so much of this. So for me, it's three stars, but with some big reservations. Mm. This is not my favorite of his. I think Inner Space and especially Matinee are better films, but I, I do adore this film. I do. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I'm more of a one and a half star. Oh, one and a half. Gosh, that hurts. I know. And because I don't ever think I'll watch it again. <gasps> I just don't think I'd ever have Not to. even on Halloween when you're like, I want to watch something that's not really scary. So you put on the burbs. Oh, man. Because you know like, you know that always happens every Halloween. It's like, all right. You well, kind of got me there. Like, it's okay. this or Hocus Pocus. <laughs> so we could either watch Bette Midler singing and dancing or Tom Hanks and the Satanist Neighbors. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just described a Halloween at the worst house. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> I do enjoy the actors. I did laugh Quite a bit. We laughed, yeah, we yeah. laughed a lot. Yeah. Um, obviously enjoyed the dog acting. Yes, and it's all about the dog. It was that was great, but I I don't know, just like the story, I, it was okay. Can you think of a better movie that did this? No, I, hmm. you're asking. No, you would have to think of a better movie. Oh, okay, okay. And then ask me if I think it's a better movie because I don't have that kind of a memory. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, a movie that deals with with paranoia of a supernatural. Uh, Tenor, would you say, you know, you would, I mean, let's face it, Rosemary's Baby is a superior film, right? You would rather watch that film again, right? Oh, would I rather watch Rosemary's yeah. Baby? Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. That movie is messed up. It's great, though. It's so messed up. I, you know, I, I don't personally want to watch movies about Satanists. That's just kind of a, no, not my preference. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of those on the shelf, really. No. So... I, I don't think... I think I'd rather watch this again if I had to pick between those two. There you go. You're, you're, you're finding scenarios in which I'll be able to force this movie on you at least, <laughs> at least seven more times in our lifetime. So seven, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling really good right now. Seven more times. At least seven. <laughs> All right, well... All right. Is, is this your least favorite Tom Hanks movie? You can think of a Tom Hanks movie you like less than this one. Um, I can't think of another one. I got one. You've got mail. Uh, I can't stand that movie. You know, You've Got Mail is, yeah, it's not up there for me. Yeah. No. Yeah, I find that movie really painful. And I like Nora Ephron, but not that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about... Larry um, Crown? Yes, that one too. That, that one's one. awful. <laughs> Extremely loud, incredibly close. The Tom Hanks 9-11 movie. I hate that film so much. Yeah, there's, there's you know, Hanks has made so many movies really. What about him and Wilson? I like Castaway. Yeah. Castaway's got, but you know what? That middle of it, when it's the island, that's where that movie is awesome. The beginning is a FedEx commercial, and the ending where he's like, hey, I'm back. I'm going to talk to everybody and not open the box. It stinks. But everything that's on the island is pretty fantastic for that film. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. But you did mention some not great ones. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess... I don't know. This one's just like a C for me. Like, it's average. I think Hanks would agree with you because he never talks about this movie. Yeah. He talks about Splash with all the love and devotion and fondness. Like, yeah, I mean, Splash. And and this is like, whenever I think of Hanks, this is my favorite. It's weird because people like, you know, I mentioned Tom Hanks. They go like, oh, Captain Phillips or Saving Private Ryan. I go right to this era, the, the, the Dragnet Burbs era where he's got, you know, big, wavy, floppy, curly hair and he's like goofy, affable. I miss this guy because... 
like I, I don't know if you've seen it. Like he's gonna play Colonel Tom Parker in this movie about Elvis coming out, and he's like covered in prosthesis, and he's doing an accent. It's like ah, oh, I love you, Hanks, but you're not Daniel Day Lewis. Like no, be like have fun again. Yeah, he, he does. He's like he's a serious actor now, and that's cool. He's a great actor. I mean, you know, and there's one. That's one of the reasons he's been around for so long, but. I do miss the days when he's like, you know, I'm just going to do this movie where I'm a cop and my co-star is going to be this big, giant, slobbering St. Bernard. I miss those days. Mm. I miss that Tom Hanks. <laughs> I do. All right. Well, maybe we need to go back and, and watch Turner and Hooch. Ooh, going to the Hanks vault? Yeah. yeah. Early Hanks. <laughs> Early Vintage Hanks. Hanks. All right. Well, and Buddy Hanks. Do you have anything else you want to say about the burbs? Pizza Dude. No, I'm good. Yeah, Pizza Dude. All right. Such a quotable film. Well, if you have any recommendations for or neighbor us, stories, scary neighbor stories, or a film you'd like us to discuss, send us a message uh, through our Instagram. So I married a film credit critic <laughs> underscore podcast. Yes. And follow us there for our latest updates. Um, until then, thanks everybody. Good night, neighbor. 